are listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 40. When Jesus had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. So where are those palms at? Can I see the palm branches waving? Oh, that is awesome. I love that. We should give like two to everybody so we have twice as many. That would be cool. Uh, So, um... Full disclosure, I was a bit nervous about today. I don't get nervous much on Sundays, but today my nerves were working a little on overdrive. It's Palm Sunday, which is a big deal. It's one of our high holy days. It's also my first Palm Sunday at this church, so like you really don't want to screw anything up. And then to kind of like further complicate things, we had the baptisms today, which was amazing, but I've also never done baptisms at this church before. So I was a little terrified that I would not have enough time to get dried off, dressed, and make it back here in time for the prayer, but it worked out. It all, it all worked out. I made it back with time to spare. Nobody drowned. (laughs) That's always a good day. Um, And we're having cake after the service. That is, that is my, that's my kind of Sunday. Our passage for this morning is a pretty famous one. It's Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we traditionally call Palm Sunday. Except that in Luke's version of Palm Sunday, there are no palms. Did anyone catch that when Larry read the scripture reading? There's, there's no mention of the palms in Luke's account. Instead, the people spread their coats on the ground when Jesus enters the city. Now, We thought about handing out coats this morning instead of palms. How confusing would that have been, huh? Like, here's your bulletin, and here's a coat. Yeah, not quite the same effect. Um, Plus, buying coats for all of you would have been way too expensive. So we we went with tradition, and we stuck with palms. And I think we made the right choice, uh, even if it doesn't quite fit this version of the story. 
There's actually a lot of little differences in Luke's version of this story. Um, We already mentioned the palms aren't there. He also leaves out the hosannas. In all the other versions of this story, Matthew, Mark, and John, the people shout out hosanna as Jesus enters the city, which literally means save us. And the reason that Luke left all this out is pretty straightforward. Both the palms and the hosannas were nationalistic uh, symbols of Jewish identity back in the first century. They would have had a lot of meaning for Jewish folks back then, but Luke is a Gentile. He's a non-Jew, and he's writing his gospel to other Gentiles. So these symbols would have been lost on his audience, so he leaves them out. Another unique part of Luke's version of the story is what he puts in place of the Hosannas. The proclamation of the disciples as Jesus enters Jerusalem. This is pretty cool in verse 38. They shout out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now, if that sounds familiar to you at all, you're not wrong. It's a callback to the very beginning of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, when little baby Jesus is born and put in a manger. Does anyone remember what happens next? Who shows up to sing praises? Angels, Angels, that's right. Some angels appear to some shepherds who are watching their flocks by night, and the angels declare, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Very famous line. So at the birth of Jesus, we have a vision of angels, beings from heaven declaring peace on earth. And now, as we draw toward the end of Jesus' life, There are people on earth, his disciples, who are declaring peace in heaven. Heaven declares peace to earth. Earth declares peace to heaven. Luke is painting us this beautiful picture of peace and unity between heaven and earth. These two realms that we always think of as so separate are being brought together in Christ. That's deep, you guys. Like, I think think that's pretty cool. Luke is up to some really cool stuff in his gospel. But then the Pharisees show up. And I feel kind of bad for the Pharisees, right? Like, they never have any fun. And couple that, couple that with the fact that the Pharisees get beat up by Christians all the time, right? Like, if someone's being a hypocrite today, it's normal to hear someone call them a Pharisee, which is kind of messed up if you think about it. I mean, how would you like it if your job your vocation, was like universally associated with hypocrisy. That wouldn't be very fun. Almost be like being a pastor or something. Could you, could you imagine? <laughs> Who wants that? <clears throat> Here's the other thing, though. The Pharisees weren't evil. It's important to remember that. These aren't mustache-twisting villains. Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees was actually pretty complicated, Pharisees would often debate him, but he also had Pharisees among his closest followers. In the Gospels, Jesus is often eating at the house of Pharisees, which implies at least some level of friendship and intimacy. Before this story, when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, it's a group of Pharisees who warn him not to go because Herod wants to kill him. The Pharisees are watching Jesus' back here, and if we read this passage from that perspective— kind of sheds a whole new light on what's going on here. This scene, 
Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, this is kind of dangerous. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and being heralded as king, and Jerusalem was contested territory back then. It's still contested today, 2,000 years later. Back then, it was just as complicated. You had King Herod, who was the official king in Jerusalem. He was half Jewish and half Roman, so like both sides kind of liked them, or at least respected him on some level. Then you had Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who was like officially in charge. You want someone killed, you take them to him. And then you had Caesar, the emperor, who was over all of this. His title was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Everyone answered to Caesar. Then, among the actual inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jews, Jesus' people, you had some people who were allied with Herod. Some others were allied with Pilate. Some others were taking up swords and trying to drive out the Romans, which good luck with that. And then still others hoped for the coming of a new king who would throw off the yoke of the imperial Romans and establish a new kingdom. It was a mess. And the Pharisees' approach was to keep your head down. Don't worry about politics and power structures. Who's in charge? Who wants the throne? Who's hungry? Who's fed? Those are worldly matters. Just focus on faith, spiritual stuff. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Too dangerous. Care for the poor, but don't actually try to change any of the systems that keep them poor. Practice peace and justice, but don't ruffle the feathers of the people who are promoting violence and injustice. Keep your head down. Focus on the spiritual. That was the way of the Pharisees. And we should acknowledge, like, that's not an evil way to be, right? Like, it's not, it's not evil. It's pretty harmless. It's pretty non-confrontational. But it does have a side effect of maintaining the status quo. As long as you keep your head down, as long as you're afraid of what might happen if you speak up against this stuff, things are never going to change. Contrast that with Jesus, who enters the city modeling a different sort of kingdom, a different way. His followers proclaim peace, instead of war. Here's a king riding on a colt instead of a war horse. This is super subversive stuff. Jesus is demonstrating that another type of kingdom is possible. Rather than telling his followers to take up swords and kill their enemies, he tells them to lay their swords down and love their enemies. And a message like that is just as dangerous to people whose power depends on violence. The Pharisees know how dangerous this is, and so they try to warn him. Tell your disciples to keep quiet. Keep your head down. Get off that horse before somebody tries to kill you. But it's way too late for all that. Jesus knows exactly where this is heading. <clears throat> the status quo has become untenable And if his disciples didn't shout, the rocks would cry out. It's easy to get lost in all the hype and celebration, all the positivity of Palm Sunday, 
But let's not forget that this is the beginning of Jesus' road to the cross. Right after this story, in fact, in the very next verse, Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem and he weeps. Here's what he says. If you had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground. You and your children with you, they won't leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This isn't a curse. Jesus is saying this with tears in his eyes because he knows where the status quo is heading. And about 40 years after this story, around the year 70 AD, another king rode into Jerusalem, but this time it was on a war horse. It was the Roman Emperor Titus. And his armies destroyed the city. The status quo is death. Jesus' alternative is life. The Pharisees don't see it, and if we're honest, I think a lot of churches don't see it either. A lot of churches have embraced the way of the Pharisees, not in terms of hypocrisy, although there's plenty of that, right? But in terms of maintaining the status quo. At its worst, there are churches who have outright thrown their chips in with the powers that be aligning themselves with certain leaders or certain parties in the hope that maybe some of that intoxicating power will trickle down to us. Thank you. But I think way more churches have embraced the way of the Pharisees. Keep your head down. Don't rock the boats. Focus on the spiritual and leave the earthly stuff to politicians. It's no secret that organized religion is in decline, um, and there are a number of factors involved with that. We're not going to diagnose the problems with the church uh, in one sermon, but I think a big factor in that decline is that there's a new generation entering adulthood, and they're calling BS on religion that is affiliated with the status quo. Churches that maintain the status quo are not going to be churches much longer. And that means that we all have a decision to make, both as individual believers and together as a church, about what kind of faith we're going to practice in this world. Are we going to align ourselves with leaders who promise to crush our enemies and give us victory? Or are we going to follow King Jesus? Are we going to be satisfied with treating the symptoms of poverty and violence and hate that is running through our communities? Or are we going to work to change the broken systems that allow such evil to persist in the first place? Will we keep our heads down, try not to rock the boat? Or will we become a public manifestation of this radical new way of being that Jesus was about? The way of Jesus proclaims peace in the face of violence. It proclaims love in the face of fear, welcome and hospitality in the face of hate. Loving our enemies, even if it kills us.
The status quo is death. But the way of Jesus is to overcome death with new life. There are people all around us who are hurting. People who need to see that another way is possible. The rocks are crying out here in Brockport. Let's join them. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.